So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 31. And the title of today's message is The Comeback. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I ask, Father, as we study the meaning of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and the promise that Jesus is making here in John chapter 14, I ask, Father, that you make it very real to us. I ask, Father, that you help us to accept the truth of who the Holy Spirit is, the benefit that he is showing us in living within us, and the power that is available to us to live for you and live a victorious life in this world. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. So I have a pastor friend that I still communicate with a lot through email and online, different groups that we're in, and he was telling me that of a time that recently came up in his life. He's a bivocational pastor also. It means he still works um, a full-time job in addition to doing the ministry. And one of the consequences of doing that is you don't get a whole ton of time off. You're either working or you're doing something for the church or, or different things like that. So you don't get a lot of time off, and particularly you don't take a lot of vacations. Most people are used to taking one to two weeks of vacation per year, but oftentimes that is not... Uh, that is not available to people who are doing bivocational ministry. And my friend had gone three years without having more than one or two days off in a week. So he was getting kind of tired and his elder board had decided that it's not good for him to be doing this. So one of the elders happened to have a timeshare in Branson, Missouri, or Branson, Missouri. And they hooked him up with that for two weeks in a vacation condo down there. And they took up a special offering and, and made sure he had the money to go down. They made preparations, invited guest speakers to come in, took care of all the details. And finally, the day came where the pastor loaded up his family and his SUV and started driving 10 hours toward Branson. At first, it was like most modern families. You know, wife's on the phone, kids are on their tablets or their phones, and nobody's talking or anything, and about an hour into the trip, the mom said, you know, we're going on vacation. We're trying to get away from all this. She put her phone down, told the kids to take, put their phone down. They started talking as a family. Pretty soon the talking started turning into those little road games that we play or doing singing and different things like that. And they really started to reconnect as a family and have fun together. About 30 minutes out of St. Louis, the pastor's cell phone rang. It was a church secretary who reported that son of the head elder had just gotten into a tragic car accident and had died. Now, as a pastor myself, if, if this was me in this situation, your heart is pulled in two different directions. You know logically and you know how important it is for you to get time away. But at the same time, your heart is just dying for this person over here. You want to get back there and you want to, to be with this person because a good pastor, you're not only just doing a job, but you're actually friends with these people. And, and this particular elder was one of his best friends and he, he was just drawn to, to, to want to go back to be with this person. And tragedy just has a way of messing up your plans, doesn't it? Tragedy can also crystallize in our minds the things that are most important to us. And in this case, my pastor friend immediately turned the car around and drove back to his church family. God the Father knows exactly what it means to be faced with these kind of situations. 
In fact, a tragedy in the book of Genesis leads to him being separated from his most prized creation, which is you and me. And Jesus starts to address one of these situations here in the latter part of John 14. And in his final teaching to his followers, Jesus introduces, him, introduces them to the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, up to this point in biblical history, nobody knew really about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was just considered an extension of God, but not a separate person within a triune or a, a trinity-type God. The Hebrew belief system was cemented by Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So the fact that he was, so that Jesus is telling them that he is God, and now that the Holy Spirit is God, is just a totally new revelation to them. And he is teaching them this uh, very important point to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And what makes this point particularly important is that through what Jesus is about to go through in the garden, or about to go through on the cross, he is taking and restoring humanity to where they were in the Garden of Eden. He is making all things new. He is taking it back to the created order that God had initially set up for mankind. And if anyone who's been coming to this church for a while, I refer back to Genesis 3 a lot because all humanity's problems started right in Genesis chapter 3. It's the entire reason that we have the gospel. It's the entire reason that humanity needs a Savior. And it's the entire reason there is evil and there is suffering in this world. It started right there in Genesis chapter 3. So before we go into chapter 3, let's take a quick stop in Genesis chapter 2 for the foundation of what we're going to be discussing um, in this sermon. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says that the Lord... God formed a man from the dust in the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Hebrew word for breath is nishpach. It speaks to humanity receiving the very image of God. The spiritual essence of what makes God God was breathed into man right there. And when I'm speaking of God in this case, I'm speaking to God the Father, the person who is known as Elohim or Yahweh in the Old Testament. And I'm being very specific for a reason that you'll see in a moment. You know, he breathes within us the image of God. Now, what is the image of God? In other words, if I handed out some paper here and some pens and I say, do me a favor and draw God the Father for me, what would you draw? If I asked you to, to mold it in clay or, or make a statue of God, how would you make it? The answer to those questions is you can't do it. In fact, there's a very commandment that says you shouldn't tr even try. And the reason is because God is very adamant that he is a spirit being. And those who worship God have to worship him in spirit and in truth. The nishpah, this, the breath of life that he is breathing into Adam here, is his very essence which is a spiritual essence. Our Father breathed into us part of what makes Him God, which is an eternal spirit into each one of us. And it's that essence of God that separates humanity from all other creatures on this earth. 
We're the only part of creation that carries the image of God within us. Why is this so important to what we're talking about this morning? Because the image of God that was originally breathed into every human being was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was God Himself residing in this fleshly cell or shell that He made to, in order for us to be able to exist and interact and enjoy the creation that He gave us. We are spirit beings living in a physical body. But this physical body is only temporary. It's in essence a spacesuit that we need to be able to walk on the moon. You need a spacesuit. This is our spacesuit so we can walk and live on planet Earth. It's something our spirit just uses for a little while, but someday, praise God, we get to throw it away and exist as we were originally created as spirit beings that are sometimes able to take physical form. Our created nature is such that our individual spirit was always meant to be intimately connected with God through the Holy Spirit. When He breathed that into us, there was a permanent connection that was supposed to be there. We're not designed to work in any other way other than to be connected to that like um, we were to be connected with God. And people wonder why there's so much disease and death and evil in the world. It's because we've lost the connection to the very thing that God meant us to be connected to to give us life, holiness, and everything good. Now into Genesis chapter 3. The Bible tells us that another being known as Lucifer or Satan disguises himself as a snake and tempts Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve give, give in to the temptation. And Genesis 3, 7 records, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now this verse has been depicted in popular media or even throughout history as focusing on the physical nakedness of Adam and Eve. But that's not really what the scripture is meaning to convey here. They lived in a garden of Eden that was perfect. They had no reason to wear clothes. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. There were no mosquitoes. There were no ticks. There were no thorns and, and things that would hurt them. There were no reason for them to wear clothing. So something had to happen here that made them be, feel exposed and uncomfortable. Since they had only known physical nakedness since their creation, logically it tells us that there is another kind of naked that they are dealing with here. Now remember, humanity was primarily created to be a spiritual being and that resides in a physical body. But the physical wasn't the problem here, so it had to be the spiritual. Their nakedness was the Holy Spirit of God leaving them. Before this, they had existed with the Holy Spirit of God being upon him and residing within them. And it explains their reaction when he left was that they went and tried to hide from God because they didn't want to admit that they had broken the one law that he had given them. There's a consequence that came from their disobedience. And that consequence was death. It wasn't an immediate smiting. It wasn't like God threw a lightning bolt at them immediately and they came and they went and physically died. No, it was a spiritual death. It was that separation from the power that gave them life and, and power and, and the abilities that they had 
And it, that power came from the indwelling and covering of the Holy Spirit. Now I, I say all that to lay, to lay the groundwork for the Scripture that we're really going into this morning. What Jesus was telling His disciples here is that for over 4,000 years, humanity had existed without that connection to God. The Holy Spirit had largely been absent in the lives of the people who had lived since the fall of humanity. There are very few specific cases in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a type of work that He wanted them to do. And it was always among the priests, prophets, and occasionally leaders and kings that existed within Israel. However, for the most part, people had no spiritual connection to their God other than to follow the law and worship in Jerusalem a couple times a year. That was it. There was no day-to-day -day connection with God. But now Jesus is talking about one of the greatest comeback stories in history. The Holy Spirit is getting ready to make His return to the lives of the people who love God, who are going to trust in what Jesus is about to do on the cross. The Holy Spirit is going to come rushing back. That very connection that God gave us that was supposed to give and sustain life was making that comeback into the lives of those who follow Jesus. And what does that mean for you and I today? What does it mean within the Scripture that we are reading? Well, there are some benefits here. And we have to say, well, what are the benefits for? Well, there are some very basic rules of how we interpret and find out what's important with the Bible. And one of the most important rules is repetition. If you see something said throughout the Bible that says basically the same thing, that is important, that is a truth, that is something that you should memorize and, and allow to dwell inside of your heart. And when Jesus and God repeat something for themselves, especially in very short order, that's a very critical point, and that's what Jesus is doing right here. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31, he gives a repetition of a single idea three different times. And he probably, I don't know if you caught it in the video, but you can write it down in verses 15, verses 21, and verse 23, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, if Jesus had said that statement three times in a row, I imagine the disciples would have immediately thought or objected or or, or said in their heart of hearts, or maybe not told Jesus, he goes, well, that, that, that's impossible. We can't possibly follow the law. That's why we have the sacrifices. That's why we have the entire temple system, is because we can't do it. But Jesus didn't do it this way. He made these statements about you and me loving him by obeying his commands, and he intermixed it with us telling us that through his sacrificial death and resurrection, that God was providing a way for us to be able to do that. You see, we can't ever do that in our own power. We can't never do it through human grit and determination. That's why God the Father gave us Jesus Christ, the Son, to suffer and die in our place and to take upon Himself the penalty that we deserve for our rebellion and our sin against God. But it's also why that God gives us God, the Holy Spirit, because He knows that we can't do it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit's comeback is God saying that He knows that we can't, but He can. 
Let's see exactly how Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will help us here. In verse 17, it says that the Holy Spirit is going to show us what is true. And the Bible tells us that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is the gift of discernment. Discernment means that you are able to tell what is true and what is false. And do you know that when you become a Christian, when the Holy Spirit starts to dwell and live inside you, that you have a built-in lie detector. You have the Holy Spirit of God, the author of all truth, telling you what is true. And that's a hot topic in today's world. With the media being the way it is, social media distorting facts, and attention being given to the most outrageous and loudest voices out there, it's very difficult for us to know exactly what is true and what is God's will for a particular situation. Because all they're trying to do is play on our emotions and twist the truth into, into a worldview that is not reflective of that, of the Bible or of Jesus the person. And these kind of atmospheres and these kind of issues have existed all throughout human history. It is not just something unique to our time. It's just much easier to find now. There have always been people who want to prey on our fears and use them to elevate themselves or their plans to fit their wants and their desires to rule over others. That's why it's the Holy Spirit's job to show us what is exactly true. And what is actually true isn't dependent upon whether you put Republican or Democrat or Independent behind your name to show what political party you show allegiance to. It's what this book says is true. If there should be anything behind your name, it is a cross. About a month ago, I changed our church sign to reflect that. Most of you have read it. It says, if you're looking for truth, go to God's book, not Facebook. Because God's book is our Holy Spirit's way of talking to us and maintaining our connection with God. You've heard me say before that truth is reality as seen through God's eyes. That's why it's so critically important for us in this day to have an intimate connection with God through the Holy Spirit so that we can judge what is right and fair and holy in His sight. The second benefit of the Holy Spirit's comeback into our lives is that it is to prove that we are God's children. In Mark chapter 4, there's a parable of the sower. In that parable, a farmer is sowing seeds and describes the different kinds of ground that this seed falls on. Some of the seed falls on the road, the hard-packed ground, and has no root. Some of it falls on rocky ground. Some of it falls into thorn bushes. All these seeds didn't live long enough to produce anything of value. But the last seed fell onto good soil. And it produced a harvest 30, 60, or 100 times that which was scattered. And if you're here in this church today, you have received this seed, which is the very Word of God. The Holy Spirit is trying right now to make the soil of your heart receptive to this seed so that you too can produce this kind of a harvest. Then the enemy is doing everything he can to prove to you that you're not actually God's child and therefore can't produce anything of value. And one of the benefits of receiving the Holy Spirit is to assure you that you are God's child. The Bible describes it as a good deposit. 
Or in some of the older translations, it said that the Holy Spirit is given as an earnest payment, assuring your salvation. If you don't know what an earnest payment is, it's money that you, you put down on something to show that you are actually interested in, in buying this thing. And that is the Holy Spirit is our earnest payment by God putting it into our souls to or putting it into our souls to assure us that the very blood of Jesus Christ has sealed us as God's child. And even if all hell rises up against you, even if every single voice on the entire planet screams at you that there is no God and that He doesn't love you, you have that assurance of God living within you that will stand up to all of that chaos and all of those lies. That is that benefit of the Holy Spirit living within us to assure us that we're God's child. The third benefit of the Holy Spirit's comeback is to allow God to love and to bless us. Now I want to be very clear about something before we get any further. As far as salvation, as far as your salvation goes, God's favor and blessing is completely and solely dependent on Jesus' work on the cross. Amen. Period. Your good works cannot add to your salvation any more than your evil deeds and those things that you do that aren't pleasing to God can subtract from your salvation as long as your faith in Jesus Christ remains sure. What obedience and holiness does is allow God to place us into higher positions in Him to receive spiritual blessing because we have proven character. We have proven trust in God and we have proven dependence on the Holy Spirit. Generally speaking, God cannot place us in the positions of blessings or authority and power until we have a proven track record of obedience before Him. And the reason for that, it's a foundation question. At the hospital right now, we're doing a lot of construction. And one of the things they had to do is they had to build, or they had to dig out this huge hole, and it was right next to the building, so you'd be walking past the window, looking down, and it's a good 20 feet, a hole that's 20 feet deep. And what they did is they sunk pylons that were 20 feet deep that were meant to hold the structure, the two to three story structure that they're building on top of it. Now, if they just went out there and, and scraped some dirt down and put a six inch foundation down and then put a, a two story building on top of it, how would that building have stood? It wouldn't, it'd crumble immediately and fall. It's the same kind of thing, the reason why holiness is so important in our lives. If we're only allowing God to build a six-inch foundation instead of allowing the pilings of His truth to sink deep down into our heart and our spirit and our soul, if we're only trusting Him for a six-inch foundation, we're only going to get six inches worth of blessing. But if we allow the Holy Spirit into our hearts to do that deep digging, to put those, those pylons of faith down deep, he can build a skyscraper of faith and blessing in our lives. That is why it makes a difference of Him coming and living within us. The next benefit of the Holy Spirit's comeback is to help us. In verse 26, many of you have heard me say that the devil's primary tools are fear, doubt, and unbelief. And Jesus has an answer for all three of those tactics. And that answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking that truth into our hearts. 
First, let's look at FEAR. FEAR is an acronym. I don't know if you knew that, but FEAR is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. He places this false evidence in our life and, and makes it look so real and, 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 so, and so huge in our life that, that we despair and we doubt. Fear is based on a lie, so the answer to fear is truth. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. And that's how he helps us deal with fear. And doubt starts with the, with the fear that the information you are given is in fact false. In other words, he casts doubt on this book. He casts doubt on the Holy Spirit living within you. He casts doubt on the fact that God can ever love you or that he wants you with him forever in heaven. And the spirit of truth assures you that every word that comes from the mouth of God is truth and can be depended upon and should lead to an assurance that no matter what happens on this earth, God has you in the palm of his hand and he's going to bring you home. The Bible has a great example of this in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. There's three men that were ordered to worship the emperor. These men were, were advisors to the emperor or the king. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now the king they served was an egomaniac, and he decided that it was a good idea to have everybody worship him for a month. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to and were brought before the king. The king threatened to throw them into a superheated furnace that would burn them alive in front of his entire court. However, the emperor knew that these three men gave an invaluable service to him. So he gave them one final chance to repent from their stubborn refusal to worship him. But they stood firm and they said, Our God is able to save us from this fiery furnace. But even if he does not save us, we will not bow down and worship you. That kind of boldness and assurance comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power to help you through these kind of times is available for you today to deal with your doubt and your fear. The Holy Spirit is also an expert in dealing with unbelief. Unbelief usually comes through a stubborn insistence in wanting to follow your ways and not God's. It's easier for us just not simply to want to believe it than it is for us to accept the truth. It's a result of sin's curse on humanity. It's usually the very thing that keeps people from even wanting to come to Jesus Christ. You can show them all the proof in the world, but Jesus said in, in John chapter 3 that people love their sin more than they want the chance to gain eternal life. And that's the secret, and that's the thing and the thing that we need to pray against when we're praying for our lost loved ones. And the next benefit of the comeback of the Holy Spirit is closely related to helping us, and that is to teach us. A few months ago, I had a brief meeting with the Dean of Nursing at Mid-State Technical College. And it's a formality that you have to go through to get accepted into the nursing program. And she asked me a couple of basic questions and found out I had been a paramedic for a very long time. And she goes, oh, you're going to be one of those people, aren't you? She said, you know, all the knowledge and experience and skills you have developed will actually hinder you from becoming a good nurse. And I'm like, how, 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 can, how can all that hinder me? 
And she said, I tell this to all the experienced paramedics that comes through the bridge program in the nursing. You have to unlearn what you have learned. But in, at the same time, take the experience, knowledge, and skill that you have and allow us to morph it and change it into the nursing mindset to be able to become a successful nurse. And the reason that a paramedic mindset, and the reason that she told me that is because a paramedic mindset is to fix a problem. The nursing mindset is to help a person. That is a big difference, isn't it? Very big difference. Tammy will tell you <laughs> some of the ways I, I talk about patients sometimes. She's like, you don't even care about the person. No, I care about the problem. That's just the way that, that paramedics deal with it. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit teaches us the ways of God. For those of us who are not born into a Christian family and have spent time, have spent a time in sinful rebellion against God, the Holy Spirit takes what the devil meant for evil and turns it into something that God can use. The Apostle Paul tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in all righteousness. And what's amazing about God is that, that He has moved in our lives before we even knew Him to shape us and mold us, knowing our future salvation event, and is using all of that to give Him glory. I learned lessons in the military. I learned lessons even growing up as a teenager, working in restaurants, working in, in secular jobs, working as a paramedic. All these things before I even knew Jesus, he used that and was able to guide me through that and used it to bring me to where I am today. And he used that Holy Spirit's teaching through all that time to form me into who he wants me to be today. And that's just awesome how God can take us even when we are in sin and use it to teach us. Amen? The final benefit of the comeback of the Holy Spirit is this. And that is to give us peace. In verse 27. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace isn't just about everybody getting along. True peace is about the rain and rule of God in the hearts of every individual human on earth. An evangelist told me once what the focus of ministry is to be. And he said, the focus of ministry is to get everybody to where they need to be in Jesus Christ. And if that happens, there will be peace. Because God is the God of peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. And if He is in the right position in our lives, there will be peace. And one of the greatest witnesses you will ever show the world is having peace through even the worst situations that life has to throw at you. If you can think back in your life to those people who showed Jesus the most to you, they shone the brightest when things were darkest in their lives. And that's the best evidence of the Holy Spirit's comeback in our lives. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to do all of these things that were listed in the sermon today. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some teaching. Maybe you need some peace. Maybe you need to overcome fear, doubt, and unbelief. 
Maybe you're in one of these situations where the enemy has you so boxed in that you can't see anything else. If so, God has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit. He calls him our advocate, the one who comes to our defense. He calls him our helper, the one who, who come and will do anything it takes to bring us back to God and to protect us and to help us in life. Maybe you need that today.